A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Well, 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 what a day to be presenting a news programme here on Talk TV because uh, let me tell you this, Isabel Oakeshott uh, is a one-woman wrecking ball. She has absolutely hurled one uh, at Matt Hancock this morning, uh, the same woman who did Matt Hancock's book, the woman who got all sorts of all jaws thrown at her because she decided to do uh, Matt Hancock's book, The Pandemic Diaries. Uh, she received all sorts of terrible insults uh, for siding with the man who locked everybody down, uh, who told everybody uh, that he was in charge and who then, in disgrace himself, had to leave his job as Secretary of State for Health because he was found canoodling uh, with another man's wife, uh, not only in his office, but in an office of state. The Secretary of State for Health was Matt Hancock's job. Uh, this morning on the Daily Telegraph, Hancock rejected Witty's advice on care home tests. Basically, uh, what's happened here is that Isabel Oakeshott of this parish, uh, she's Talk TV's international editor, of course, has handed the Daily Telegraph uh, basically uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages uh, from WhatsApp that Matt Hancock sent to people. Uh, also, uh, messages that uh, should have been sent to him, messages from other people, including Boris Johnson, uh, including Rishi Sunak, including including, of course, Chris Whitty. More than 100,000 messages leaked to the Daily Telegraph. And this is going to go for a while, ladies and gentlemen. For all those people, by the way, uh, who are having a go at Isabel Oakeshott for breaching some kind of confidentiality agreement, forget about it, because this is in the public interest and this is entirely why. And you'll know this, um, and I know Isabel pretty well. She hasn't told me this, and I would not ever betray a confidence that she had said to me. Uh, but we know why she got into bed with Matt Hancock, metaphorically speaking. She did it in order to try and see what had gone on. She discovered what had gone on, and then she discovered all sorts of horrible things had happened. Matt Hancock, of course, is claiming that this is all a mistake. He says it's a distorted account of the pandemic. But he has also submitted every single one of these messages to the COVID inquiry. So there is absolutely no reason to suggest that this confidentiality breach is indeed a confidentiality breach because these uh, messages are already in the public domain. It just means that they haven't yet been published by the COVID inquiry. And so it's better that we get them now in the Daily Telegraph, supplied by Isabel Oakeshott, than we get them from a COVID inquiry which is yet to meet, which is yet to make any kind of decision, which is yet to give us any kind of information that's of any use to us, um, and it will all be redacted. We'd rather have it like this, thank you very much. Uh, the story spun on care homes is completely wrong, says Matt Hancock spokesman. What the messages show is that Mr Hancock pushed for testing of those going into care homes when that testing was available. Well, what the, sh the story actually shows is that he rejected the advice of Chris Whitty, he rejected the advice of some of the scientists who were telling him what he should do, and he decided to go his own way. 
We'll be talking to Ben Habib coming up uh, in the next hour and we'll find out what he thinks of that. Also, Dr. Tom Jefferson is a clinical epidemiologist, senior associate tutor at the University of Oxford, a man who wrote an awful lot about the pandemic and the rules required for that. We'll be talking to Isabel Oakeshott uh, on the show tomorrow. Tonight, she's going to be talking to Piers Morgan. It's going to be a fascinating interview. You won't want to miss that. That's 8 o'clock p.m. today. Also, Dr. Adrian Hilton is going to join us. He'll talk about this as well. But also, he's going to talk about that incredible story uh, up in the northeast, uh, north of England, I should say, um, Yorkshire, I think it is, where a little uh, boy has been kicked out of a school uh, for supposedly damaging a copy of the Koran. Absolute and utter madness. It's Prime Minister's question today as well. So we'll be checking in with Peter Cardwell down at College Green. Uh, Keir Starmer will be uh, tilting himself at Rishi Sunak. No doubt Brexit will come up. No doubt Matt Hancock will come up as well because it's a fascinating story and it is leading the news in every single way. Once again, Talk TV breaking the stories that nobody else knows about. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here. You wouldn't wonder, would you, uh, that Brexit was uh, a thing that we talked about only yesterday. Uh, we'll be talking about that as well again, because uh, as more people examine the Northern Irish uh, Accord, which has been found to be uh, slightly wanting, shall we say, a couple of days after it was all signed, sealed and delivered by Rishi Sunak in a rather kind of uh, what can only be described as pompous and self-congratulatory way. I'm sure Ben Habib will have plenty to say about that. Uh, ben, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. I mean, we have to start with this uh, incredible story about Matt Hancock and these uh, messages, because I think Isabel Oakeshott has done uh, the public in this country a great uh, service by producing all of these messages, which show a great many things. But amongst other things that they show uh, that Matt Hancock is the supreme sort of narcissist. He's the supreme kind of uh, man who thinks he knows better than everybody else. And it gives a really good insight for me as to how government was actually working during these days of Covid. Or, or not working, as the case well, yes. might be. I mean, you know, Isabel is absolutely right. This is a matter of huge public importance. And one of the criticisms I have of government and the whole way this thing has been handled is that we haven't had the inquiry yet. Mm. You know, we're three years on from when lockdowns were first introduced and we haven't had any scrutiny of this one policy that stripped 68 million people of their civil liberties, damaged the economy, caused the inflation and cost of living crisis we've now got, allowed people to die on their own in care homes, and no one has had to answer for that policy decision. Neither have we had an honest discussion about the alternatives that were available to government back then, such as the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm. So that I hope, I hope that Isabel releasing these, uh, these messages from Matt Hancock, who, by the way, I think by giving them to her, makes himself firmly a candidate for Plank of the Week. I hope one of your, your guests will have him on. <laughs> well, I have to say, I have to say also, I mean, for him to kind of pretend through his uh, spokesperson uh, that this is some kind of a breach of confidentiality, when he's already given all of these messages to the COVID inquiry committee, apparently, uh, so they're already in the public domain, they just haven't actually been published yet, it shows he knows even less about the law than he knows about reality. It does, or he might know more about public inquiries, you know, save for the <laughs> knowledge that they may never come to light. Mm. You know, I think one of the concerns Isabel had was that the whole thing is going to be whitewashed. Yeah. As so often happens, we remember the Iraq inquiries that went on internally after the Iraq war. Yes. And, you know, we all know that war was wrong. We all know that, don't we? 
and yet no one was ever held to account no. for it. And in fact, the, and only, the, only thing that, the only thing that happened as a result yeah. of the Chilcot inquiry was the death of David Kelly, the man who uh, was yeah. outed by Alistair Campbell in a most disgraceful way uh, as a guy who, um, you know, single-handedly kind of was trying to wreck government policy. All he was trying to do was tell the and truth. A very, and a very mysterious death. You know, that goes unanswered mm. as well. Yeah. So I'm glad that a, a spotlight is going to be shone very clearly on what happened during lockdown. Um, I think one of the biggest tragedies of lockdown was the government being blind to any alternative to lockdown. You know, taking their lead from a totalitarian state mm. that is China. You know, we sort of bought that whole thing about having to shut the population down, even though we knew yeah. it was only the elderly. We knew right at the beginning it was only the elderly and vulnerable, people who had pre-existing conditions, who were, you know, uh, susceptible to the virus in a serious way. And we know that the politicians know that, Mike, because they were all partying. You know, they didn't take the virus seriously, did they? And no. So I think it's high time they were held to account over this whole thing. Absolutely right. And interestingly enough, I was listening to Lord Bethel this morning. I think there may be even more to come. The revelations that Telegraph have got today are just the beginning, uh, because uh, in, in my day in newspapers, what you did was you kind of teased it out and you let them deny this and deny that and say this is not a scandal. And then second day, <laughs> hit them with something even better. And then day three, come back with even more. Because I'm really interested in what you have to yeah. say about masks, about mask mandates, about the PPE business. Yeah. I was listening to Lord Bethel. Uh, talking this morning on another station. And he, of course, was a junior minister under Matt Hancock, who mysteriously, apparently, has, 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 has erased a load of his own WhatsApp messages, which have to do with uh, conduct during that period. And he claimed, actually live on international radio, that basically he erased them because he didn't have any more room on his phone. And you're going, what do you think? You know, my head yeah, zips up the back rubbish. here. What the hell are you talking about, man? Yeah. You know? Well, you can you can you, you can uh, you can download you can you know back them up, can't you, on your phone? That's just no excuse. Um, no, I think there's a huge number of questions that need to be answered, and the the greater the passage of time between lockdowns and when the inquiry actually takes place, and and then you know gives its results, the greater that period of time, the less likelihood we are to get to the truth. So we need to accelerate it. Other countries, France, for example, Sweden, they've all had their inquiries, they've all adjudicated. It's all out in the public domain as to what the, you know, what, what the inquiries uh, found about yeah. government policy during lockdown. And we right. need to get on with ours urgently. You know, just think, 33% increase in national debt, inflation at a 40-year high, government finances in tatters, civil liberties stripped away, right. thousands of people died alone. And none of these questions, not to mention the billions of pounds that went missing on PPP equipment, coronavirus right. bounce back loans. You know, all of this needs addressing. And I hope there'll be lots of answers in those 100,000 texts that, uh, you know, Isabel has now handed over to the Telegraph. Oh, I'm sure there will be. And I'm sure that this will uh, have ramifications for an awful lot of current ministers, people who are currently in government. Because I think, if, if it, as if we didn't know already, this will surely finish off this particular Tory government, won't it? it, it well, yeah. I mean, they were pretty much finished. Um, and this will do it. And it'll be interesting to see what Rishi Sunak had to say to Matt Hancock you know, during lockdowns, because yeah. people fate Rishi Sunak for the, uh, for the, you know, the money that he sprinkled around the economy during lockdowns. Right. But actually, it was that money that has now caused the problems we're facing. 
So it'll be very revealing, I think, to eventually get these texts into the public yeah. domain. I can't wait to see, you know, what genuinely happened. Yeah, and obviously, from the tenor of the of the text and from the, the sort of the the tone, shall we say, of them, you know, Matt Hancock was far more interested in looking as if he was doing the right thing than actually doing it. Uh, absolutely, and we, you know, we got a taste of that, didn't we, with Andrew Bridgen, who. Uh, you know, whether or not you believe in vaccines is a kind of moot point. But Andrew Bridgen has a completely valid um, reason and, ha you know, to want to reveal the truth behind vaccines. You know, why were vaccines foisted on young children? Why was there such a rush um, to, uh, well, obviously there's a rush to bring them up, but why was there such a rush to close down the debate on it? And why did Matt Hancock liken what he said anti-Semitism when clearly it had no relation to anti-Semitism. You know, there's a whole host of things that need to, you know, mm. need a bright light shone on them. And that's the best disinfectant, I think, for this kind of this kind of stuff. No, absolutely right. Well, you'll be delighted to know, I'll be asking you coming up about what's happened in Northern Ireland, how Northern Ireland is going to now operate uh, as part of not only um, the UK single market, but also apparently the European single market as well, uh, which must be delightful for them. Uh, ben Habib is here with us, Chairman of Brexit Watch, former MEP, of course, of the Brexit Party. Jackie says this, I think Isabel Oakeshott should receive high praise for the public service she has performed. It takes courage to do what she's done because there will be an establishment backlash. I hope this doesn't deter her in any way way and I hope she still keeps pursuing the truth. Matt Hancock of course would say well you know I trusted Isabel Oakeshott and uh, unfortunately she's now betrayed me. Well he might say that mightn't he but then he's already given all of this information to a public inquiry so what's he got to hide? He says nothing so what's the problem? This is Talk TV more from Ben Habib coming next. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Ben Habib, chairman of Brexit Watch, former MEP for the Brexit Party, of course. There is one other piece of news I haven't brought you yet, and that's this. Frogzit, front page of The Sun this morning. Uh, you've got to laugh. It turns out Harry and Meghan have been evicted uh, from their uh, palace in Windsor. Uh, this is, of course, the Frogmore Cottage, as it's called, which has got about 23 rooms or something in it. Apparently, they're kicking them out and they're going to give it to Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help but laugh. We'll get more of that from Angela Levin coming up. We want privacy. We want privacy. You know that thing. Uh, let's talk to Ben Habib, though, now uh, about Rishi Sunak and his remarkable deal uh, with Ursula von der Leyen, uh, who turned up on Eurostar the other day, uh, met the king, signed a deal, did something that uh, they said they'd never do. Uh, but what does it all mean? Ben, what do you make of it all? OK, before we talk about the deal, Mike, I just want to remind people that when Boris Johnson revealed his oven ready deal back in 2019, yeah. everyone backed it. Everyone was desirous to back it. Some people like myself warned about the Northern Ireland Protocol and the massive constitutional impact it would have. Yeah. And people did not want to listen. And wind the clock three years on and the Northern Ireland Protocol has proven to be a real issue for the United Kingdom. It's not just for Northern Ireland, it's mm. for the United Kingdom because it foists effectively through the back door, well, directly into Northern Ireland EU laws and adjudicated by the European Court of Justice, but through the back door requires the United Kingdom as a whole effectively to align with EU laws yeah. for fear of losing Northern Ireland. And people now wish to back, naturally wish to back Rishi's deal. They want an end to the problems of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Right. But I urge viewers to listen very carefully. What he is selling is not what is the case? The reality of the Windsor framework, as he calls it, 
is that it doesn't sort out any of the major issues that are of a constitutional importance in the Northern Ireland Protocol. Northern Ireland will remain subject to EU laws. It will remain subject to future EU laws and have really no ability to prevent those laws from being passed and, uh, and applied in Northern Ireland, and it'll be the European Court of Justice that adjudicates them. And the effect on the United Kingdom will be, with or without Rishi's deal, that slowly, over time, Northern Ireland will diverge from Great Britain. As the EU passes new laws that we don't adopt in Great Britain, Northern Ireland will end up being consumed by the Republic of Ireland. So what we're seeing with the Northern Ireland Protocol, and it remains the case with the Windsor framework, is that Northern Ireland will be lost out of the United Kingdom. That, that's how serious yeah. the matter is. Yeah. And so people mustn't be exhausted by the debate. They have to look at the detail of what Rishi Sunak is proposing, and they need to get their head around it. And I have done that, yeah. for what it's worth. I've read the framework document. We haven't got legal text, by the way, Mike. All we've got is British government and EU um, yeah. propaganda. Well, this, well, this, is, like, well, this is what I keep hearing. There was, the a great, there was a great piece, uh, I can't remember who wrote it yesterday in The Spectator, uh, which I'm sure you probably read as well, uh, in which it Steve basically Barrett. explained, yeah, it explained basically how this is not a legal agreement of any kind. It is a political agreement. And in fact, the EU version of the document is completely different from the one that we've been shown, uh, yeah. which has completely different sets of rules. And it may well be, and I think this is right, um, I'm like you, I'm very sceptical about it, but I think it's right that if you are in Northern Ireland, it will be better once this is enacted than it was. There will be, because I'm told that it has been very difficult to live there. I know you've brought your own uh, legal actions as well, so you're an expert in this area, so I wouldn't attempt to know more than you do. But, I mean, I think it will improve life for people in Northern Ireland. But what else will it do uh, is the big question, and what will it mean uh, for the future? And I think you're absolutely right uh, to say that it does put Northern Ireland in jeopardy uh, of leaving uh, the United Kingdom. And I wonder, then, what effect that has on the rest of us. So, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, Mike, the ability to trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland will improve because there'll be a green lane with trusted trader status. There won't be no checks on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland that are to be consumed in Northern Ireland mm. down this green lane. There won't be no checks, but it'll be better than it is now. And there'll be a red lane then for all the other stuff that's intended for, for the Republic mm. of Ireland, i.e. the EU single market, um, you know, the, the EU in effect. Um, by the way, the goods going down the red lane will be very small in number and value. Hardly any goods go from Great Britain to Northern Ireland and then into the Republic. And that actually reveals why this whole thing is entirely unnecessary, because very little trade between the United Kingdom and the EU happens via Northern Ireland. And um, so for the marginal benefit of the green lane, the trusted trader status and the slight reductions in checks, what Northern Ireland is going to be giving up is its rightful place in the United Kingdom. The legal actions to which you referred revealed that the acts of union, and these are not some kind of archaic acts that we can now ignore because a couple of hundred years have passed. These are the acts on which the United Kingdom is held together. Crucial aspects of those acts have been subjugated by the protocol. And that will not change under the Windsor framework. Northern Ireland, effectively, Mike, is being handed over to the EU. Hmm. That's what's happening here. And Rishi Sunak is being economical in the extreme with the truth 
when he pre- presents this as a solution to the protocol's problems. It isn't. He's putting lipstick on a pig. And I really hope people, having bought the nonsense of the oven-ready deal three years ago, I hope the electorate now will not buy the nonsense from Rishi Sunak. I hope they will be, uh, they will be much more sceptical and they'll look at the detail and they'll analyse this for what it is, which is selling Northern Ireland down the drain. Yeah. And all for the purposes of what exactly? A PR exercise? Is it for Rishi Sunak's it's, ego? Is it so that he can have, you know, this is his legacy, he managed to sort out Brexit? Because that's what he said yesterday, laughably, in the House of Commons, uh, or was it the day before? We have taken back control. <laughs> I mean, really? It's partly... Uh, he hasn't. He hasn't taken back control. You know, he talks about state aid laws now not applying in Northern. It's not true. All that they've done is clarify how those state aid laws would be applied. Mm. He says VAT rates in Northern Ireland will now be capable of being determined by the UK. Not true. Right. Only for goods that stay in Northern Ireland and, and cannot possibly move yeah. to the Republic will VAT rates be And I mean, that, to be fair, I mean, that is, that is an improvement on the way things were. But as you say, it's all based on trust, isn't it? And if they decide to change that, then what happens then? But, Mike, would, would the French accept British laws being made for Normandy and the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom adjudicating those laws? I mean, no the, way. The French don't even obey their own laws, never mind ours. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, that's a different, that's a different discussion. <laughs> but, um, but I think the trouble I, I, with you know, it, soon, I think the yeah. trouble with all of this, and you, you nailed this earlier, people, I think, are kind of glazing over because whenever you talk about Northern Ireland, it is kind of confusing. When the, the story broke the day before yesterday... It was clear that most people didn't really understand what had happened. They didn't really understand what had been going on and because they don't know anything about Northern Ireland. I mean, you do. I know a little bit about it because I've been there quite a lot and I know a lot of people that live there and I know a lot of people that have worked there. But, you know, most people have no clue about Northern Ireland, what it's like, what the pressures are, what the dangers are, what the kind of different communities are like. You know, it's a very specialised area. it, it is. It is and it isn't. I mean, you know, one level, yes, it's got a, a, a particular history which makes it slightly more complex than the rest of the United Kingdom. But on, on another level, just very basically, there are 1.8 million British citizens who live in Northern Ireland and should be treated just like every other British citizen in the United Kingdom. Yeah. And Rishi Sunak is not doing that. He is appeasing the EU. You asked earlier, you know, I wonder why he's doing it. It's partly, I think, for his legacy, so he can bang the drum and say he got it done. He will also then have his hands covered in blood in the breakdown of the United Kingdom. That's going to be on his legacy as well. But I think most importantly, Rishi Sunak is not a Brexiteer. Rishi Sunak wishes to have a close working relationship with the EU. He doesn't want to diverge. He hasn't ditched any of the EU laws that we have on our statute books. He doesn't want the United Kingdom to become an independent, nimble trading nation. He wants a large socialist, bureaucratic, highly regulated, highly taxed economy. And that's similar to what the EU runs. Rishi Sunak is not the man to get Brexit done. To get Brexit done, you need to believe in the United Kingdom. You need to believe in our ability to be an independent country. And you need to believe that policies should be made for British national interest, Mm. not to appease the EU. And he's fundamentally wrong on all those issues. And so he's happy to give up Northern Ireland. He's happy to give it up. And the truth will be revealed over the years that follow. If the British electorate don't stand up to Rishi Sunak now, we will repent at leisure, Mike. 
I, and it's, I couldn't it, agree it would more. Be a tragedy. And isn't it interesting that uh, because of Rishi Sunak's kind of image, he gets away with saying things that if Boris Johnson had said them, he'd be accused of lying. For example, when he was in Antrim yesterday, he actually said, we are continuing to help uh, those who can't afford to pay their bills because they're so expensive, electricity bills, energy bills. They're going to stop paying for that uh, with our money uh, very, very shortly. And so actually that was a yeah. complete and utter barefaced lie. Not one member of the press picked him up on it. Well, I mean, the, the, the whole way he sold this Windsor framework is, as I said, extremely economical with the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I to say liar. I mean, is there but any chance he, we could get he, a prime minister that actually tells the truth? Is there any chance of that? Well, well, exactly. You know, didn't Rishi Sunak stand on the steps of Downing Street and say he was going to put trust back into politics? <laughs> well, he's done nothing other than U-turn or was it and trust? misrepresent the position. Or was, it, was he saying well, no, trust? No, he did it. No, no, well. no, I mean, was he saying let's put trust, <laughs> trust back in politics? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we couldn't do any worse. Anyway, listen, Ben, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, chairman of Brexit Watch, former MEP, of course. Uh, maybe that's what Rishi Sunak meant. Let's put trust back into politics. I mean, I have to say... He's told more lies in the past 24 hours uh, than Boris Johnson, I think, has told in his entire life. Extraordinary, isn't it? But yeah, we see Rishi Sunak as this man of integrity, a man who knows uh, everything about everybody and a man who would never, ever tell an untruth to you. Well, I'm sorry. That's down the swanny, as far as I'm concerned. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, uh, we're going to go to Oliver Whitfield Miacic, who's down uh, with the police of uh, Sussex and, of course, the Metropolitan Police, uh, looking uh, for this tragic baby uh, who has gone missing in this terrible story about a couple who were arrested yesterday um, who have been on the run, effectively, since the beginning of January. Uh, we'll find out what the latest is there. We'll also talk to Dr Tom Jefferson uh, on the Matt Hancock front. Imagine this, right? Matt Hancock telling everybody that he's been betrayed by Isabel Oakeshott. As somebody pointed out on Twitter, he betrayed all of us. So get stuffed, mate. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's go right now, though, uh, to Oliver Whitfield Majicic, uh, Talk TV's reporter down in Sussex. They're searching, of course, uh, for a missing baby, the police down there. Uh, the baby is feared dead. Uh, after this rather strange couple who were arrested uh, yesterday, uh, having been on the run since the beginning of January, um, were charged also with manslaughter, or not charged with manslaughter, but accused uh, of manslaughter and arrested uh, for negligent manslaughter. Oliver, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Tell us uh, where you are and what's happening. Yeah, so we're here just north of Brighton in this residential area, which backs on to allotments. There's a golf course not far from us and then an entryway into the South Downs. It was here on Monday evening at 9.30 that Constance Martin and Mark Gordon were arrested after 53 days of pretty much flying under the radar. On January the 5th, their car was found burnt out on the M61 near Bolton. And at that point, that was when the police started being concerned for their welfare, launching a missing persons inquiry. The couple then spotted in places such as Liverpool and two parts of Essex in London and then down in New Haven and in East Sussex. 
and police now are launching this huge search in an area that's covering 91 square miles from where we are to New Haven which is where the couple were last seen all in a desperate bid to try and find this two-month-old baby. The temperatures here are absolutely frigid overnight there was ground frost it has been raining so it's certainly no place for a baby to find itself and the authorities are urging people who live locally to check their garden sheds to check their outbuildings and report anything that they see which they think could be valuable to them on 101 and for the wider public if they've got any previous sightings or cctv footage that they want to share to get in touch too so a huge operation continues underway at the moment here, Mike. OK, Oliver, thanks very much indeed. We'll check back with you, I'm sure. Oliver whitfield Mircic throughout the course of the day, uh, hoping uh, that there will be some development, some uh, discovery uh, of that missing child, because that will be a terrible, terrible tragedy if they cannot find the child. Um, terrible, terrible story. We'll bring you more on that, of course, as we go through the day. Right now, though, let's return uh, to the COVID care home scandal, of course, because uh, that's what we're talking about this morning. Matt Hancock, uh, who was the Secretary of State for Health until he had to resign as a result of the affair that he was having with somebody else's wife. He's now with that woman. Uh, he has moved into a house with her. Um, he's accusing um, Isabel Oakeshott effectively uh, of spinning a story which is not correct. He says this, it is outrageous that this distorted account of the pandemic is being pushed with partial leaks, spun to fit an anti-lockdown agenda, which would have cost hundreds of thousands of lives if followed. What the messages do show is a lot of people working hard to save lives. Well, I don't buy that, actually, Mr Hancock, because thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives would have been lost if the lockdown hadn't happened. There is no proof of that. Uh, we're waiting for a lockdown inquiry. We're waiting to see uh, whether or not what the government did was in any way justified or indeed necessary. And certainly as time goes on, it looks as though more and more that the uh, measures that were taken to lock down the economy, to lock people into their homes, to keep people out of school, uh, to keep children away from their teachers and their lessons was entirely wrong. Let's talk now to Dr Tom Jefferson, clinical epidemiologist and senior associate tutor at the University of Oxford. Um, basically, the allegation in the Telegraph today, uh, in what's being called the lockdown files, is that Matt Hancock, when he was Secretary of State, rejected expert advice from Chris Whitty, amongst others, um, the chief medical officer, on care home testing. His WhatsApp messages have been released to the Telegraph, over 100,000 of them. Um, Dr. Tom, a very good morning to you. Um, this is an incredible story and a, a quite remarkable revelation is coming. And I think even more to come probably tomorrow and the day after. Um, I had a, uh, a read of the, uh, the Telegraph uh, article. Um, I must say that I am not surprised mm. because uh, in at the end of 2021, with my colleague Carl Hannigan, we looked at the evidence in nursing homes, which really was quite shocking. Um, about one one percent of the global population resides in nursing homes, uh, and yet uh, nursing homes were in nursing homes. You had over one third of SARS-CoV-2 related deaths. Mm. But the other thing, the the other feature which uh, is important is that not not we do not know what role SARS-CoV-2 played in these nursing home deaths. But we do know that there was there were excess deaths in 25 countries compared to previous years. And some of these deaths were not SARS-CoV-2 related. 
which gives you a pointer as to what really actually happened. Right. Well, one of the things we do know, Tom, uh, is that an awful lot of those deaths that were uh, attributed to COVID were not really COVID deaths at all. And so the numbers were completely distorted. You know, the statistics uh, that were being collected and published every single day were wrong and they were given really no context whatsoever. And now what we see uh, is a man and possibly um, a series of of men, ministers, uh, maybe uh, advisors as well, who were much more interested in how it was all looking as opposed to how it was all going. The, the number of cases is uh, unreliable. If you remember the daily uh, bulletin, yeah. the number of cases, the number of, number of people in hospital because of COVID also is unreliable. Yeah. The number of deaths, the figures, are also unreliable for reasons which I can go into, but we've, we've, we looked at the uh, freely available Freedom of Information, uh, and we pieced it all together in a series of reports. And uh, this fits in with this this frenzy of testing. Hmm. Um, The other problem that we've got is that what exactly is meant by testing? If it's polymerase chain chain reaction, PCR, you cannot make a, a diagnosis of contagiousness or active disease just based on a positive, negative PCR. Right need to do that within something which is called clinical medicine, which appears to have vanished from the surface of the earth for the last three years. Yeah. You've got, you had scenarios of people just driving in into, into a drive-in and having a, a, a tests done without proper understanding of what they were doing mm. and how to interpret these tests, which are well, wonderful tests. But they were completely misused. Right. But they were also, were they not, very expensive. Um, You know, we're told that now we haven't got any money for anything. One of the reasons that we haven't got any money for anything is because of all the money we wasted um, uh, and and, and just threw into a a massive fire during COVID, you know, when we were able to find money for everything. And also the problem with testing, and I always said this at the time, uh, to to the result of which I was then monitored by the government, uh, as probably were you, um, I said, well, all it is is a, is a moment in time. All it means when you test me for COVID right now is that I don't have it right now. Literally five minutes after walking out the door, I might have it. The, med- the, test, uh, the use of medical tests should be done within a clinical context by people who are qualified mm. to both carry out the test, manage the specimen and interpret the results. And this was not done. It was a sort of frenzy of from what i understand uh, it, it was it was a numbers game it, we it, we had a target we had to reach that but with tests which have a medical clinical significance that is not a rational way of doing it and also in the background you had all this this frenzy of people who had no understanding of how respiratory viruses uh, the epidemiology of respiratory viruses madness like zero covid mm. uh, that was that's another so you've got to put it in the context of uh, what was happening. Now, think about those, the families of those poor people who died in these nursing homes, abandoned. They couldn't, they couldn't have their loved ones around them. Hmm. They were completely abandoned. And this happened in, the, in at least 25 of the countries that we looked at. Yeah. Every family, I think, has been touched by this. Hmm. And I think that the the, uh, the Daily Telegraph article it really is quite 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Revealing. It really is. But isn't it ironic and tragic in a way that so much of the criticism of the government's policies by the likes of yourself and Carl Hennigan, uh, Julie Hartley Brewer, myself, Peter Hitchens, others, you know, we were dismissed as kind of cranks and, and, and we were told that we didn't know what we were talking about, that we were endangering public um, health. I mean, even his apology or his, his statement today uh, is, to me, designed to to indeed uh, to stretch and twist the narrative further. He's, he's talking about uh, these stories are being spun to fit an anti-lockdown agenda. Well, I'm sorry, there isn't an anti-lockdown agenda. You know, there is a lockdown agenda, however. He also says, which would have cost hundreds of thousands of lives if followed. I just don't believe that for a second, and I suspect neither do you. Uh, the, the hundreds of thousands of lives is based, as you know, on models, mm. which, uh, uh, by the way, they are starting again. So I'm sure we're going to have this conversation again very yeah. soon. They're starting again on, on H5 and influenza H5N1, so they're, they're modelling again. This, these, these dire scenarios are based on models, mm. which were based on, on very weak, if non-existent, evidence. Yeah. But just let me just cl- clarify something for your viewers. It's not just that we, we and I were dismissed as cranks. They came after us. Mm. Uh, we know from Isabel Oakshot that uh, Matt Hancock regarded anybody who questioned what was going on or seemed to hold different views as enemies. Uh, we, were, we were mentioned several times on a website run by a sitting MP. Mm. This Mr. is in a Mr. O'Brien, I presume you mean. This is this is in a democracy, yeah. or at least I thought it was a democracy. Yeah. So we we were being hunted down and uh, held 
uh, out as cranks and so on. And this is this is the result. Now, I, I'd like just like to spend a, just a second to think about those poor souls who died abandoned. Remember, some of them died because of SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. Some of them didn't. They died probably of dehydration, mm. thirst, hunger, and just a broken heart. And people who weren't able to see those loved ones before they died and weren't able to go to the funerals either because they couldn't um, add more than six people. I mean, just disgraceful, really, isn't it? Think, think about a majesty sitting sitting in St George's mm. Chapel on her own. Yeah. But they're on, their, on her own. And like her, everybody else who's stuck to the rules. Yeah. Shocking. Listen, Tom, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I think we'll be talking some more about this because uh, this is going to be huge. Dr. Tom Jefferson, uh, there from the University of Oxford, clinical epidemiologist, senior associate tutor. I'm starting to get quite angry now. This is a disgrace. Isabel Oakeshott does deserve a medal and she should get one. Matt, Hon Matt Hancock deserves to be, at the very least, charged with something. That's what I think. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. An astonishing morning already. Uh, we're only one hour into the show, two more hours to go, and we've had an incredible conversation about the revelations in the Daily Telegraph today. Hancock rejected Whitty's advice on care home tests, is their headline, based upon over 100,000 WhatsApp messages handed to them by Isabel Oakeshott, who, of course, uh, was the co-author uh, of uh, Matt Hancock's book, The Pandemic Diaries. He's claiming uh, that it's all being spun to make it look a lot worse than it is. Here's what he says. It is outrageous that this distorted account of the pandemic is being pushed with partial leaks, spun to fit an anti-lockdown agenda, which could have cost, which would have cost, he says, hundreds of thousands of lives if followed. What the messages do show is a lot of people working hard to save lives. Well, you may say that uh, former Secretary of State for Health, Mr Hancock, but uh, people may or may not believe it or they may or may not take it at face value. What I can tell you uh, is pretty much all of the people that are messaging me this morning are saying that Isabel Oakeshott deserves to be knighted, deserves a medal of some kind for just releasing all of these messages because despite the fact that uh, supposedly Matt Hancock says that they are leaked and it's a distorted account, he's already given these messages, according to Isabel Oakeshott, to the COVID inquiry. So they're already, to some extent, in the public domain. They simply haven't been published yet. Now they have been. We're going to be speaking to Isabel Oakeshott tomorrow. Tonight, she's on with Piers Morgan at 8 o'clock uh, on Talk TV. You won't want to miss that. Um, but we will be talking to her tomorrow, no doubt, about more revelations, which will be in part two of the Daily Telegraph's revelations. And now, um, without further ado, let us talk to Dr. Adrian Hilton, lecturer in politics and philosophy at Buckingham University, deputy chairman of the Freedom Association and author of Academies and Free Schools in England. Um, Adrian's a man that I've followed and watched uh, with some interest over the course of the last few years, and I'm delighted to say that we've got him on now. We're going to talk to him as well about that story uh, in the school where the Koran uh, was somehow damaged by accident and has resulted in the expelling of some student. Uh, but let's get, first of all, straight to Matt. Hancock. Adrian, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Matthew. Nice to have you on the Independent Republic, finally. Um, let's talk a little bit, first of all, just about uh, this Isabel Oakeshott revelations, because they really are quite remarkable. Yes, I think it's important that she gets the truth out. She's actually done an immense public service here. I think it's important to know that when, when a Secretary of State is leading a nation through a pandemic and telling everyone, assuring everyone that their elderly and vulnerable relations are 
protected by a ring of steel, effectively, mm. and that their health is preeminent, that it's important that we know that that isn't quite true. It wasn't quite true, uh, that he was being economical with the actuality uh, that doubtless cost thousands of lives. Yes. It's important that she put it out there. Well, it's I a think, moral. I a think moral what's also important uh, in a way, Adrian, is the fact that this has kind of kick-started questions and more questions about the COVID inquiry and why on earth it's taking as long as it's taking. You know, we know, for example, that these uh, messages, these WhatsApp uh, messages have been already handed to the COVID inquiry, but it has yet to properly start. And every yeah. other country practically in Europe has already not only started a COVID inquiry, but finished it. Yes, yes. I mean, yes. it seems remarkable, doesn't it? She, she is simply doing an immense public service here. As I say, it is a moral pursuit, and, and I hope she doesn't come under any kind of litigious threat for doing so, because right. she is really serving the public with the truth. I think, as far as I can tell this morning, the public sympathy is firmly on her side uh, for revealing this, and so I would imagine there is definitely some kind of public interest defence if he tries to come after her to say, yes. you should not have released these personal details of mine, which I've already released to an international COVID inquiry. I don't think he's got much of a leg to stand on, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I would say I would... that uh, perhaps he might not quite win that one. I would agree. Excellent. Well, listen, let's talk about what we were originally going to talk about, which is this remarkable story um, up in West Yorkshire, where the West Yorkshire police have been called into a school because a 14-year-old boy, who it turns out is, in their words, highly autistic, has been expelled for scuffing the Koran. Just tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this. Well, um, how I got interested, I, I, I got wind of something when when the word expelled was used, and it was the councillor, Councillor Akbar in Wakefield, who told a, a group of, uh, uh, of assembled men, I assume, in the mosque, that this boy, 14-year-old boy, had been expelled for uh, slightly scuffing a copy of the Quran. Not only expelled, but, but rightly so expelled, is the way the councillor described it, with, with the boy's mother to his right, uh, wearing a hijab. She isn't a Muslim uh, either. She was there effectively having her defence put by Councillor Akbar of what an excellent mother she was and, and how all of this now should be set aside because she has graciously decided not to pursue the other boys who issued death threats against her son. All of this was said, Mike, in front of a police inspector and the head teacher of the school. Now, I understand, in fact, the boy has been suspended, not expelled. And I do wonder, I do wonder if the councillor got the wrong word or if he tried to impress upon those he was speaking to that, in fact, this boy has, in fact, had the severest penalty possible meted out upon him in order to somehow assuage the anger. I, I, I don't know uh, the, the truth of that. He may have just got the wrong word. But either way, this whole conference was illuminating because you effectively had the, the inspector there assure those gathered that this boy and now the school are all treating the Quran respectfully mm. as they should. And they've been made aware that if they don't obey these sort of aspects of, of Sharia, that that there will be serious consequences. It isn't, to my mind, the police's job to do this, nor in a, a school without a religious foundation is it the job of the head teacher to inculcate any aspect of religious law in the school. 
the the book as i understand it was the boy's own book he had bought it on amazon what 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 should have happened since the boy was autistic or indeed highly autistic according to the counselor is that that special needs child should have had an instant intervention that was compassionate yes. and understanding there should have been no suspension and god forbid there would have been anything like an expulsion a mm. permanent exclusion that shouldn't have happened at all so i don't know why the counselor said it had but there should have been an intervention because the, the boy has legal rights mm. under disability yes. legislation well, i was wondering when you said that there was a counselor that used those words highly autistic i mean that yes. seems to me to be not a million miles away from the um manchester or the lancashire police last week regarding um the missing persons case you know uh, of nicola bully saying that she was suffering from the perimenopause i mean it's none of it's yes. nobody's business why are they telling anybody about this well I'm, I'm assuming, as I'm assuming, we are all uh, sort of surmising that, that the purpose was to uh, assuage wrath. It was to calm uh, tempers. It yeah. was somehow to get things on, on an even keel, hence the presence of the police inspector. But, but when he said that, that he, he had visited the boy's home, this is the councillor with a leader from the mosque. This is a non-Muslim boy in a non-Muslim family. Being visited by a, a mosque leader, yeah. an imam, I assume, with the counsellor, sort of tested on how he is now treating the Quran right. and what he has learnt from this right. episode. It right. is really none of their business. No, the, the, absolutely the, not. The, you know, sorry, guys, uh, we live in a free world here. You know, you may not think you should live in a free world, but I'm afraid that's where we are. Let's just have a look um, at a piece of uh, footage of this um, press conference. Let's see what they said. Imams, um, right, we've record, we recorded a hate incident, uh, not a hate crime, um, just to correct. Um, uh, and what that means is um, we will look to um, support the school at this moment in time. It's recorded in our systems um, and as has been articulated already, um, there are some children at the, at the centre of this situation who are 14 years old, some with specific challenges around autism. Uh, and some with a lack of appreciation and a lack of understanding the learning of their actions and the wider impact and, and upset that will cause within the wider community. And I think um, to look at it from a criminal perspective at this moment in time will be wrong. Uh, I think it's an educational piece that, again, we will support the school with moving forward. And I mean, people have been dancing around this story. We've covered it here on Talk TV. I haven't. This is the first time I have, Adrian. Um, but I hear people talking about this story and, you know, it's always kind of prefaced with, and of course, everybody should be respectful to the Quran. I don't care about the Quran. I don't care about the Bible. And if I'm going to drop it on the floor and drop kick it over the fence, I'll do it. What's it got to do with them? Well, if I may explain something here, this isn't often discussed on, on the media. <laughs> <laughs> people, because children are taught and the media conveys that you've got God and Allah, you've got Muhammad and, and Jesus, yeah. and you've got the Quran and the Bible. And and the, the, the deity and, if you like, the prophet or son of God and, and the book are all equivalents. It doesn't help to look at it that way. T to understand what the Quran means to Muslims, it's better to understand what Jesus means to Christians. Yeah. The Quran is the equivalent of Jesus, effectively, not the Bible. So all of these people on Twitter who are saying, well, if you scuffed the Bible, it wouldn't have been suspended. No, of course not, because the Bible isn't revered in the same way that the Quran is revered by Muslims. But the fascinating thing to me about that clip you've just played 
Is it the the crime or the hate incident that's been recorded is the one of the treatment of the Quran, not the death threats that some of the boys then issued yeah. against the autistic right. boy. Right. That's what prevent well, is also, for. I, I, mean, I don't well, know. I don't, and also, I, I, there is still the matter, is there not, of the, the teacher in Batley, uh, not a million miles away from this incident, uh, who's still in hiding for fear of his life because yes. um, he started teaching the kids something which they regarded or some of the parents regarded as anti-Islamic. It's bonkers. Well, which is now two years this month he, he's been in hiding. And, and well, what you have is a sort of inculcation in a school, in state education, of, of, of aspects of, of Sharia. It is Sharia censorship, Sharia treatment of, of, of the Quran. Uh, the Imam talked about deen. It is obligations and duties are all being inculcated on non-Muslims yeah. in state schools. I mean, I have a and go, right? I have a go at the Archbishop of Canterbury on a, probably a weekly basis. Justin Welby, I think, is a complete plank, right? Because I don't believe much of what he says. I don't agree with anything that he says. I think he's overwoke. He's not Christian very much anyway. I think he's even said uh, that, you know, you can't be a Christian and you can't be a God-loving person if you're a vote Tory. You know, but I can say anything I like about the Archbishop of Canterbury. Not quite. Well, I, I believe I can also say the same about some bloke in a mosque. I don't really care what he thinks. I don't care what he wants me to do. I don't care whether, you know, if he wants me to wear something when I take my shoes off when I go into his mosque, fine. But I don't want to go into his mosque because I don't believe a word of what he says. Therefore, I should be able to say the same about him as I can say about the Archbishop of Canterbury, shouldn't I? Uh, and you can on your radio and just about in the public square what you can't do apparently is say it in a school I, I i do wonder how they teach comparative religion now increasingly uh i mean you've got quite clearly muhammad in, in christian theology is a false prophet yeah. since he denies the divinity of jesus and i do wonder how many religious studies teachers even at a level now dare to go there right for fear of the consequences. And it is this fear. It is it is like Sharia under health and safety regulations. Right. Yes. And head teachers are playing effectively for an easy life. Mm. They want to sustain community peace in the wider community as well. And and that isn't the way to teach. It isn't the way to to foster educational freedom. You right. can't do it under fear. Right. I mean if you want to run a school under Sharia law, why don't you go and open one in a Muslim country? You know, not in Yorkshire. Well, you, of course, you can have faith-based schools here. Yeah, but they shouldn't schools. be publicly funded, though. Uh, well, we can have Should that they? debate sometime. Well, I we'll do that another that time. That, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> we can do that another time. We can do that another time. But it is mad. Anyway, listen, Adrian, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Dr. Adrian Hilton, voice of common sense. I don't know why we haven't had him on before. We'll get him on again. But this whole situation, I know Ian Collins talked about it yesterday and Julia talked about it as well, is absolutely bonkers. Ridiculous. Crazy. You know, I mean... I just don't know where to go sometimes. And the police, for God's sake, guys, arrest some bad guys, you know, solve some crimes, prevent some burglaries, chase the car thieves. What are you doing in a mosque explaining to some bloke um, who happens to be wearing a hood that there's something that's OK about an autistic boy kicking a book by mistake? I mean, do me a favour. This is Talk TV. Mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Uh, Karen says this, Morning, Mike. Was it a ring of steel that Matt Hancock said he put round care homes? Wasn't it more like a ring of fire or a ring of barbed wire? 
hideous man. Well, I think the trouble is, right, everybody, but everybody who's getting in touch with me has absolutely no sympathy with Matt Hancock and is very happy uh, that Isabel Oakeshott has revealed these particular WhatsApp messages, over 100,000 of them, to the Daily Telegraph, who are running with it uh, like you would not believe. And they'll be doing more tomorrow, and I'm sure they'll be doing more on Friday as well. We'll have Isabel Oakeshott on the show this morning. Uh, sorry, tomorrow morning. Uh, tonight she will be on Piers Morgan's show, 8pm. You won't want to miss that. Piers Morgan Uncensored right here on Talk TV. Of course, you can listen on Talk Radio as well. Uh, lots more of you to talk to. We will get to all of your calls, so do keep them coming. John Boy in Warwickshire says, I wish to add my sincere congratulations to the fantastic work of your wonderful colleague Isabel. Like you, I'm bloody angry about the idiot known as Hancock. He should be charged with causing death by negligence of public office and jailed accordingly. Well, a lot of people are very angry with what Matt Hancock did, and he should not be surprised that people have those kinds of strong feelings about what he did and about him, because he has proved himself to be immensely arrogant. I mean, only the other day we found out that he decided to form himself uh, into a television production company. God knows what he wants to do. Apparently, he wants to produce documentaries with Gina Lala Brigida. Well, good luck with that, mate. Yeah, you've got more chance doing some kind of Italian romance comedy. Because that's more your speed, I would suggest. Let's talk now, now to Stephen Boschia, uh, UK trade reporter at Politico, because let's find out precisely what Rishi Sunak has done this week and precisely how it will affect the relations between London and Brussels and precisely what will happen, possibly, coming up this afternoon at Prime Minister's Questions, which comes off live here at midday, of course. Stefan, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, so, yeah, right now, I think Richard Sunak is very happy with how his deal has landed. Tory MPs, on the whole, seem to be supportive, even the ones that were rumoured to potentially be, uh, you know, ready to rebel, i.e. Boris Johnson and the Trust and their respective acolytes. They've all sort of washed away and then there hasn't really been much dissent. The one thing which I think will most uh, worry him is the fact that there have been some sounds from the DEP in Northern Ireland that they're not necessarily willing to support the deal. And of course, their, you know, uh, their support is absolutely key to get Stormont back uh, convening, to get them back into the power sharing agreement. Right now, what we have is we have some of the more hardliners of the party, like Sammy Wilson, saying that we don't necessarily think that this will be a deal that we can support. But I think that it would take weeks for, uh, you know, people, including lawyers from the party, to pour over the details and see if this is something they can agree to. Yeah. I mean, interesting, isn't it, that quite a few commentators have been um, quite negative about the deal. One in The Spectator yesterday uh, basically saying that this is not even a legal document. It's a kind of political agreement. It doesn't really have any standing in law. And actually, if you read the EU, version uh, of what we've agreed it's completely different to the British version so I mean I, I wonder why so many so-called Brexiteers and sceptics would go along with it well I think that a lot of people just want this issue to be put to bed and a lot of people just want things to be you know back to normal somewhat and I think the deal clearly what it does do is it does reduce some of the trade barriers between Great Britain and Northern Ireland but I think some of the caveats and some of the problems we're seeing is that some of the, um, you know, some of the things that Rishi Sunak has said around Northern Ireland having control over new regulations and having, you know, the ability to stop the EU imposing new laws. Some of this is starting to be picked out of it. And the reality, it seems, from what the EU is saying, is that um, overall, that Brussels will still have major control over new regulations and yeah. any sort of... Uh, idea of Northern Ireland being over, able to override it would only be in very specific circumstances. Yeah. So, um, 
I think that there is a, a bit of a way to go, but I, I think it's also understandable that a lot of Tory MPs just want to move on and, and, and want to be, you know, a more united party, especially at the election. Yeah. And I mean, I think in, in fairness, what we can say and what everybody could agree on is that things in Northern Ireland will become easier. You know, if you are living there, uh, you won't have to go through all these hoops that you used to have to jump through in order to send a package to Britain uh, in the mainland of GB. You won't have to have packages that are sent to you, uh, filled out with loads and loads of forms. You will be able to buy sausages and seed potatoes. I mean, I know it sounds all a bit trivial, but but apparently it has been pretty awful there. So at least it's going to improve in Ireland, I think, in Northern Ireland. Um, but what then happens in the future is what people who are critical of it seem to be worried about. Well, that's just right, Mark. I mean, you've had the ridiculous situation where businesses in Great Britain couldn't send sausages or seed potatoes to Northern Ireland right. you know, within the same country. I mean, it's clearly an untenable situation. And I think that the fact that businesses of, of overall and business groups have welcomed the deal is the fact that it has fixed those problems and it has fixed those, uh, you know, trade barriers in the REC. But I think that there are existential questions which the DEP have around their future in the union and and how much control they will have over their regulatory um uh, their regulatory regime. And I think that these are the sort of questions that, that will continue to rumble on, especially if the DUP, uh, you know, continue to have such a hard line. And their line is essentially that they want the minimal, the most minimal yeah. amount or zero amount of EU interference, which well, seems yeah. very difficult. To I mean, achieve. people I've spoken to who, who are critical of the deal, including Anne Whittacombe and Ben Habib, have both basically said that this all falls down around its own ears if the DUP refuses to accept it and refuses then to get back into Parliament in Stormont in Northern Ireland with with the the power sharing agreement because if they because all of the all of the kind of the new um, shall we say regulations for want of a better word or the new kind of rules for Northern Ireland are only applicable if there is a government. That's right, and I think that was a part of the negotiating negotiating strategy for Rishi Sunak. It was, you know, if you want these, you know, potential powers over uh, your own laws, then you have to get back and sit around the table and storm on. But I mean, I think the DEP at this point think it's almost easier for them not to, you know, reconvene uh, the assembly, and they can sort of put off a lot of these issues, especially if they think that they're going to they're being sold a puff, and in the long term they're going to be uh, sold down the river, which right. has happened before. I mean, look with the protocol when it was first signed, the DP never supported it because no. they thought that they fundamentally separated Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK. So the fact that they may be ready to not support this deal makes a lot of sense because yeah, they indeed. never agreed to the principle. No, absolutely right. Uh, Stefan, uh, thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. Stefan Boschia there, UK trade reporter from Politico. There will be, of course, uh, Prime Minister's questions. It's bound to come up uh, in Prime Minister's questions. But of course, unfortunately for Keir Starmer, he's already given uh, his unash uh, uh, unprovoked of assent to this Northern Ireland uh, change and the bill uh, because he said that he would vote for it no matter what, without reading it. He said that the other day in Parliament. He said that they would stick by their word and they would support the new um, Windsor Accord or whatever you want to call it. The Windsor Framework. Um, how about this from Evie? It's a very good one. Mike, can anyone explain, please? A 14-year-old autistic boy is suspended from school for damaging a Quran, indicating school considers him unable, uh, or sorry, considers him able to understand his so-called crime, while the 15-year-old uh, Shemima Begum was groomed and didn't know what she was doing when she joined ISIS. What a good point that is. How is it possible that you're going to blame a 14-year-old boy who, as, as, as the councillor says, and I don't go along with this description of him, by the way, but the councillor made this point suggesting that perhaps he could not help himself, that he was a severely autistic or highly autistic, I think, the 14-year-old uh, in this school in West Yorkshire. But Shemima Begum, Shemima Begum, wasn't. But she's a year older. 
She didn't know what she was doing. He did. He's 14, she's 15. Go figure. Uh, let's talk to Leslie in Newcastle. Hello, Leslie. Good morning, Mike. How morning. Are you? I'm very well. What can I do for you? And, uh, well, first of all, kudos to Isabel Oakshot for what she's yes, going to say. Yes, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, but my reason for phoning you was when you were talking earlier about people that are coming out with criminal records and then can conveniently disappear. Yes. And my frustration comes from the opposite point of view, where the police are spending huge amounts of time and money, and I would argue wasting it, on things like a DBS service, mm. where people that have already got uh, you know, a blameless life are just wanting to get on with their work and are being held back in doing so because the police take over 60 days to check that you are who you say you are. And when you've already got one of these DBS things, but another employer wants another one, even though you have an update service that you pay for. And this strikes me as just a, a, a nasty way of people making money out of people that are desperate to get on with their work. I've been sitting here now for over five weeks in order to be able to start work with a job offer that I have. I already have an enhanced DBS for under 18s. They need one for with adults. So if all the information is there, why are the police taking this length of time? And I just find that this is happening well, to so you many people. You can see, I tell you what, you can see why the police are in the state they are in uh, by watching that video that we just showed you. If you I don't know if yeah. you saw it, of that West Yorkshire school situation with the mosque. I mean, yeah. you know, what on earth are they wasting their time with that sort of rubbish for? But this seems to be the thing all the time, that they'll go for the least line of resistance doing things that basically inconvenience law-abiding people. And those that need genuinely looking after are just being, um, well, allowed to run free and do yeah. exactly what they like. Well, it and seems to me that, that you, you get a lot less attention as a criminal in this country from the police than you do as a member of the public. Absolutely. Isn't it Absolutely. mad? Bonkers. And, I mean... Talking about teachers saying, you know, well, you can't get um, teachers, you can't recruit them. Mm. The reason being is things like the DBS system and the nonsense that is safeguarding. And who's at the bottom of all of that? Ofsted. Yeah. So, you know, there's all of these um, organisations, this sort of overmanaged, micromanaging superstructure, yes. and it needs getting rid of. Let's get people into work and properly educating our kids yeah. and have a sense of... As you said, common sense. And these background checks, if you remember, I don't know whether you do, Ian Huntley passed a background check, even though he was facing a charge of um, paedophilia, right? Mm -hmm. Because it hadn't yeah. got to court yet, and as a result, he wasn't on the register. And you kind of go, yeah. well, what the hell is going on here? Absolutely. And, yeah. and I can give you um, myriad accounts of perfectly ordinary, decent people who have been held up mm. or have been told, you know, go away. No, we're not doing anything um, purely because of these DBS checks being held yeah. up. And I just find the whole system totally Kafka-esque. It really is. And, and, and useless. At least if it was Kafka, it would probably work. I mean, if it worked, I'd give them something, uh, you know, some points, but it doesn't even work. Anyway, listen, great call. Leslie, thank you very much indeed. In Newcastle there, uh, telling us what she thinks of how useless uh, these background checks are, how useless the police are. We were telling you about how hundreds and hundreds of sex offenders have apparently gone missing. But they haven't actually gone missing. They're still here. It's just nobody knows who they are because they've changed their names. Genius. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine Matt Hancock thinking um, that he's been betrayed. Uh, he's claiming that this is an anti-lockdown agenda story uh, because partial leaks are being spun to fit that agenda. Well, I've got some news for you, matey. Um, almost everybody that's coming into contact with us says it serves you right, and they're very happy that Isabel Oakeshott has done this, and also that she should be given some kind of medal 
for doing so. We'll be talking to her tomorrow morning, of course, right here on the Independent Republican Mike Graham. But now, how about this? Frogsit. Couldn't happen to a nicer couple. Harry and Meghan have been kicked out of their Frogmore cottage in Windsor uh, after the publication of Spare, uh, or as South Park would have it, Wah! the book in which uh, basically Harry skewered everybody else, uh, including himself. I mean, typical of a plank like Prince Harry, as he was once known, now known as the Duke of Netflix, uh, or Hazza. He's not only um, kiboshed everybody else's uh, name in the book, including the woman who he lost his virginity to, uh, but he's also kiboshed his own name and kiboshed, I suspect, his own career with the lovely Meghan Markle. Let's talk to the woman who knows about all of this stuff. She is the one and only Angela Levin. Angela, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Well, I mean, I couldn't be, I suppose, more pleased to see that uh, finally King Charles has seen reason. And I like the fact that he's done it quite quietly so that nobody really knew, nobody could accuse the royal family of being petty or vindictive. But he's done the right thing here, hasn't he? Well, I think it's been a, a it's a silence that's a, speaking very loudly. Yeah. Um, I think it's quite right. I, I think so many people are getting agitated that although they realise the royal family, particularly King Charles, wanted to be dignified and not get into a row, tit for tat row, um, they had to do something. And I think this is a very smart things to do. I just hope that they change the locks so they can't sort of creep <laughs> in without sort of, you know, anybody noticing. But I think it is about time. Harry has said he doesn't like the UK. He's much happier in the, in America. Um, they said it wasn't very big and that opera was shocked at how small and cramped it was. It's got five bedrooms. Also, they spent two and a half million pounds of the public money renovating it. It certainly did need a renovation, but they were doing that knowing that they were going to scarper quite soon after mm. it was all finished. Um, what's very interesting is whether this affects Harry's court cases with the Home Office mm. to get protection round the clock. If they're no longer resident here, I don't know that they can get that at all. Yes. If they came for an event, they would actually obviously be protected, but they can't then say that. And if he's not a resident, if they're not resident here, then what does it mean about the green card, tax issues um, uh, uh, in America? Yeah. Will he become an American? Well, if he stays in America for too long, he will be subject to American tax, and he's got plenty of money that they would like to have. Thank you very much indeed. And what is, isn't it interesting to see this lovely, beautiful home called Frogmore Cottage, which if it's a cottage, I'm the king of Prussia. You know, it looks like a mansion to me. It's got 20-odd rooms and, uh, um, you know, this is, this is part of his terrible, terrible upbringing and his terrible life and his awful, awful existence, isn't it? Well, you see, it doesn't have 16 bathrooms and that's the disadvantage that it yes. has over what they've got in <laughs> the United States. <laughs> they, they're much happier with six, home with 16 yes. bathrooms. Yes, absolutely. But it shows... That the, the, the home has been offered to Prince William, which at the moment I believe he's denied. But I think it's a very good idea. Most adults, when their ch children marry and have children of their own, they downsize. Mm. So um, this has got five bedrooms, but he could he could live in there and he would be safe because he is still in royal territory. And it's, um, it's a safe place to be. He's not being sent away altogether. You told um, me, sorry, you said William, you mean Andrew, right? 
Sorry. Yeah, you meant Andrew. Yeah, because Andrew, Andrew, no, yeah. listen, it's easily it's easily done. You know, all these um, members of the royal family dodging about, not doing very much. But William actually is doing very well for himself at the moment. Yeah. Um, he's found so himself. Definitely William. Yeah. You know, most of the people who've lost you know, children go off, uh, as has happened to mm. Andrew. He could downsize, mm. and he would still have a um, place for his ex-wife to stay. And, and they could be together there. Or he could go and live in London, as we know. She's, she's, um, Fergie bought a £5 million house in the centre of London. But if he wants it as a as a place in the country, it seems perfect. You know, lovely grounds and and very close to the other royals. Yes, indeed. And Windsor is always their kind of spiritual home anyway. It certainly was the yeah. Queen's spiritual home, wasn't it? Yeah. What about... Um, uh, what's going on with, with Harry and Meghan? Because I was doing a, a piece the other night on the talk of how he is now doing a webinar coming up for which he is offering himself um, up to people who want to ask questions to him. All you've yeah. got to do is pay 19 quid or something like that. Um, and you can and ask, you him, and you can ask the... him a question and you get a copy of the book. I mean, how low rent can you get? Well, I think it sounds as if the publisher wants to get rid of the books, that they've sent them out and they haven't been selling very mm. well. And this is a way of giving them sort of as a present, yes. but also as a way of adding it up on the list mm. of what they want. But it's with another um, expert on mental health, and he's going to be pouring out the same things that we've heard so many times, opera, um, Netflix, you know. Uh, I, I just don't know how many times he thinks he has to say this before he moves on and forgets it. We've got Megan's um, memoir coming up soon after that as well. So I think it's absolutely good timing before the coronation, before we get too close, for them to be um, evicted. Mm. They, they barely use it anyway. And actually, if they're so rude to a father, their brother-in-law or brother, if it's Megan, um, that they should actually you know, have some sort of... Um, Action taken. Yes. Well, I tend to go with Piers Morgan on this, that if somebody in my family, as he said, did what Harry has done, you certainly wouldn't be welcoming them back into the fold. You certainly wouldn't be inviting them to a party. You wouldn't invite them to the coronation and you certainly wouldn't ever want to see them again. Yes, but, you know, he might be a king, but he's also a loving father and he still loves his son. You can't actually tell people don't love them anymore. Um, and he wants to sort of smooth things over. But I think they come to the end where they realise it's impossible. Harry is still saying that unless he gets an apology, he won't come. I mean, well, fine. Well, that's great. Um, and just don't give him one and then he won't turn yeah, up. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I, I think that um, he's pushed it too far and been too intrusive on privacy um, with William and saying he... Um, you know, he was circumcised, I thought was beyond appalling. It's got nothing yeah, to do with Yeah, absolutely going. awful. And I also revealing the, the identity. I know he didn't personally name her, but to be basically in all but name, everyone worked out who she was, the woman uh, who he says took his virginity. And she was very gracious about it. But in the end, she had to say, look, I have to talk about it because he's basically outed me. Yes, I think that um, she behaved with a great calm and um, and... Dignity as well, actually. But I think what he should learn from that is although the royal family don't speak out, they don't want to get into a tip to tap row, mm. um, ordinary people uh, won't stand for it. And they will come back with their truth. Harry's always talking about my truth. 
And Megan's always talking about her truth, but now it's an advantage for anybody uh, who wants to hear tax yes. that they give back their truth. Exactly right. And also, uh, nice to see Megan doing what she does best back in the sun this morning. Apparently, she's done a promotional video for something called Clever Blends, which is, uh, according to them, a wellness coffee. So just yeah, to know that... that she actually invested money in in 2020. Mm. Some people have said this is left over from 2020. It's not done recently. Mm. It's done two years ago. And if that's the case, they just want to use it to bring her in uh, the spotlight without her actually having to do anything. I think I need to do a bit of digging on that one. I'm yes. not quite sure. Yes. Uh, well, perhaps you can was. buy some wellness coffee and see if it's any yeah. good. <laughs> okay, I promise I'll and do that. And then give us a taste <laughs> test the yeah. next time we talk to you. Angela. <laughs> if I'm still alive, I'll come back and tell you what it was yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely right. Don't, order it under an assumed name is what I would do, uh, just in case. Uh, listen, um, apparently they were out last night, Harry and Meghan, uh, on their privacy tour, you know. We want privacy. We want privacy. We want privacy. Uh, they were spotted in an L.A. celebrity hotspot <laughs> looking for privacy, obviously, because that's what you do when you don't want anyone to know that you're out and about. You go to a place where all the paparazzi hang out. So they take a load of pictures of you. I mean, are these people actually for real? Unbelievable. 0344, a 499, a 1000. Prime Minister's questions coming soon. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.